Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn Nicotine Pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My daughter would love that call sheet. Your daughter she's would? A huge. Yes, yeah, she's a huge fan. And I'm getting a lot of cool points by talking to you today until she finds out that I said the word cool points. I'll get, <laughs> I'll get some deductions for that. But uh, yeah, she's very happy. Hi, I'm Allison Hannigan. You probably remember me from My Stepmother is an Alien. I played Jesse because <laughs> fan favorite. I've done some other stuff too, but you know, we're really here to talk about My Stepmother is an Alien, right? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the very first episode of Off the Beat. I am your host, Brian Baumgartner, and I am so excited to start this journey with all of you. Now, my guest today has fought demons, worked as a kindergarten teacher, and let's just say she has had a lot of crazy experiences at band camp. Get ready for an absolutely hilarious conversation with Allison Hannigan. Now, Allison, she was born to be in showbiz. And she has been working in the industry for her entire life. Well, with the exception of a 
a couple of years when she was a baby, but we'll just let those years slide. Okay. And while her early jobs may have been motivated by the promise of desserts, she has since been in everything from Buffy the Vampire Slayer to American Pie to How I Met Your Mother, and now to my daughter's current obsession, Fancy Nancy. (laughs) And somehow in all of that, she also managed to have her very own The Office experience. Now that is what you call a tease. It was my absolute pleasure to sit down with Allison, and you're not going to believe how funny she is. I mean, you probably will believe it, but you get my point. Please welcome with me the incredible, the unbelievably talented Allison Hannigan. Bubble and squeak, I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning. Left over from the night before. Allison. Hello. Allison, how are you? Good. Are you in a beehive? I am in a beehive. Well, my initials are BBB. Yes. So I try to make everything around me like I'm a bee. I love it. You have a bed in your background. (laughs) I'm in a guest bedroom, (laughs) which is actually very close to our beehives. So there you go. Do you have beehives? My yes, it's my husband. He's yes, he's trying to get all the bees. I think it was going to really? be. Let's just have one beehive. Now we have like, I don't know, we're a shelter for bees. His beekeeper that he works with is like, hey, we've got some bees from Beverly Hills. They need a place to stay. And, oh, bring them over. That's not how my husband sounds, but I, I imitate him like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> wow. he appreciates it. I didn't know people did this in the city. Yes? Yeah. I mean, we have a lot of space, so that's helpful. But uh, yeah, we are the honey people now. (laughs) I was just saying to a friend that we just were going to be known as the honey people because every time we go somewhere, we're like, here's some honey. But I love that. I want some of your honey. And I mean that in a strictly... Yes. Okay. Yes, come get some honey, some oranges. We... (sighs) We can take care of your shopping needs. I used to have avocado trees, lots of huge, huge avocado trees. And there's only one thing in the world I can't eat, which is avocados. (gasps) So there you go. That was like the curse. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm allergic to avocados. you don't have the trees anymore? No. Oh, I moved. Okay. I didn't cut them down. I didn't, it wasn't like fi on you trees. (laughs) But yes, no, I don't have them anymore. We have an avocado tree, but it is a strange breed of avocado that, I don't know, our gardener says you're supposed to eat the skin. I don't believe him. And it's gross. They're not tasty. But he (sighs) has wonderful avocados and brings us some. Well, there you go. You can trade for the honey, (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm such a big fan of yours. I'm so excited to be talking to you. But I want to go back into your brain life oh boy okay good luck well because we have uh, we have some like weird crossovers though not not exactly you were born in dc 
but you started acting in Atlanta. That is where I am from. Oh, no. Uh, yes, the ATL. Yes, and I was there Atlanta. when you were there, if my research is true. Did you move to Atlanta or you just started acting in Atlanta? So we, m- my mom and dad sort of split up in D.C. when I was a baby. And then okay. she was born and raised in Atlanta. So she moved back there with me. And so even though I was born in D.C., I don't remember it at all. Like my hometown is Atlanta. What? No, that's wait where a I second. went to elementary school and everything. Yeah. Where did you go to elementary school? Well, first it was this small little private school called the Children's School right near okay. Piedmont Park. And yes. then I really, I really wanted to take the school bus. So I begged my mom to take me out of private school so I could go to public school. She's like, okay. And so then I went to, um, I had one year of Garden Hills Elementary School and sure. then moved to middle school and went to Sutton Middle School. And then we moved out to California. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. I know Sutton. I was a Holy Innocence and Westminster okay. kid oh, okay. All in right. the ATL. So you started doing commercials, I understand, when you were four mm-hmm. in the ATL. Now, was this something Absolutely. that you were interested in or your, your mom was interested in or how, how did this start? Well, I don't really actually remember a time where I didn't want to be an actress. So for me, I always wanted to do it. Back then, it was a hobby. It was like I played soccer and I also did commercials and print jobs. Both my f- parents were photographers when I was a baby. So if they ever needed a you know baby for modeling... They just stick me in front of the camera and I loved it. So that sort of led to, you know, modeling and, you know, I thought that was really fun. And then commercials as well. My first commercial was like a Duncan Hines cookie commercial. I think I was basically an extra, but I got to just walk with this chocolate chip cookie to the car and it was really hot because it's Atlanta and the chocolate chips would just melt all over my fingers. So they wouldn't let me eat the cookie, but I could lick my fingers after every take. It was (laughs) heaven. I was sold right then and there. Like this is the job for me. (laughs) (laughs) But then you said you moved to Los Angeles. So now when you moved to Los Angeles, were you moving because you wanted to pursue this or? Yes. 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 My, my mom was really supportive. My dad had moved out to Santa Barbara and I came to visit him when like some break or something. And, uh, and she had set, uh, set up some agent meetings because we had always heard it was really hard to get agents in California. So we met with like four agents and they were all like, well, if you move out here, we'll take you. So she was like, all right, let's do it. So she was kind of bored and that's how we got out here. I mean, thankfully, I think I had gotten really close to, or so I was told, to this movie with Sissy Spacek and Mel Gibson, I think called The River or something. The, the River. River. Anyway, remember yeah. a long yeah. time. I'm old. Seven yeah, so am I. But um, so, uh, so they did, you know, it was a Southern movie or whatever. And, and I wound up screen testing for that. And so I think that kind of gave her a like, oh, wait, maybe she can do more than just the local commercials. So we did and we moved out and I had an agent and worked a little and didn't work a lot, but it was just something I always knew that I wanted. I just got like a weird accent then. Always. I don't know where that came from. You always. <laughs> always. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I remember just, I was an only child, still am. And, uh, and then I would be home alone a lot 
and I would just always pretend that I was on television. It was like, I, I thought, I guess I wanted to be a reality television star before it ever was a thing. But, um, so I would just walk around the house, like thinking I'm on television right now. Some, I just can't see the cameras, but I'm sure that I'm on TV. (laughs) You know, I wanted to be Cindy Brady. So I just always knew. So, so the, the long answer to that question is, Yes, my mom definitely wanted it as well, but it wasn't she was not pushing me into it. Right. Did you do did you do theater at all or was it really for you about film? I did a little bit of theater but not not really. Like I wasn't a proper actor, sorry. Um I did do my first like stage show at the Alliance Theater. You, yes, is, okay. Is that, That's yeah. like the biggest. She just name drops like the biggest. The, I just did this one <laughs> I think show. It was probably a camp. It was, it, I don't really remember. I was very young, but I do remember that we all did Shel Silverstein's A Light in the Attic, which is just really cute little short stories, but we would act out short stories. And I just thought that was brilliant. I love that. Uh, the Giving Tree, still one of my yes. favorite too. Now, you played soccer mm-hmm. as a kid, and you you got an injury. Was that something that was significant for you? Well, it was significant in making the shift from Southern to California because I was like, okay, girls in the South don't kick that hard. You know, they're not as aggressive. They're much more polite. But, I mean, it was an accident, but ba- basically I got kicked in the ribs really hard and it sort of dislocated some I don't know but that was the end of my soccer career so I used to before that I would say I want to be a soccer player or an actress then it was just okay I only have one option now I don't like getting hurt (laughs) (laughs) well I asked because I had I had a very similar story and I won't bore people with the entirety of the story, but my dream was to be the first baseman for the Atlanta Braves, like not just a professional baseball player, but like that was Mm. my dream. And I went through an injury and a surgery and something went terribly wrong for me, which ended my athletic career. And Uh. so I really got into acting and theater for me at the time because sports were no longer an option for me. Right. I don't know if sports were an option for me. I thought I was really good when I was in Atlanta. Like I was usually one of the better players on the team, even though I was small, I was quick and I was good. Um, but then I got out here and everybody's really, really good. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I'm not that good. And then I got hurt immediately. And I was like, that's fine. I wasn't very good compared to these people. There was a lot of like, oh, you've got the ball. It's okay. You know, in Atlanta. (laughs) I mean, you know, I was on a team called the Mighty Mites. Although, you know what you just reminded me of? I did, when I first started soccer, I was like three. I was on an all-boys team. I was the only girl. And we got to play at halftime for the, the, was it the Chiefs? The Chiefs. The Chiefs. The Chiefs. I don't know if you game. can say that anymore. The Chiefs. I don't yes, think they but, are the Chiefs anymore, but they no, were back they then exist, in the seventies. They were the Chiefs. Right. Yeah, and so we got to go to the you know big, formerly known as Chiefs Stadium, and right. um, they, I think they brought on a goal to put it on the the center line so that yes. we wouldn't have to run the because I had never seen a field that big, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> 
And I just remember running by somebody in the audience and they're like, that's a girl. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What gave it away? The braids. (laughs) And the weird thing is that was me. That's the (gasps) crazy thing about it. (laughs) That was me saying that. I remember going to those games and watching people play and thinking they didn't pick me. There you Uh, go. Yeah. Um, You knew early on you you wanted to be an actor. What television shows were of influence to you or what what were you watching i was watching a lot of reruns you know brady bunch uh i love lucy gilligan's island i went on and off of that one i you know i didn't like it when it went into color i was like no this is this is just too much for me um (laughs) but yeah, I just, I wasn't really allowed to watch television that much, except maybe on weekends. But my mom was a single mom and she worked a lot. So I would watch television when she wasn't home. Right. Thank goodness she never like touched the, the TV to see if it was warm. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so so whatever really was on after school. I remember when I was a little older, I became friends with, oh, when I went to public school, <laughs> I went, I became friends with this girl who had cable. Oh, that okay. was amazing. So I would go to her house and be like, can we watch cable? Can we watch? You can't do that on television. She was like, no. <laughs> she was so over it. And I was just like, this is gold. You have so many channels. <laughs> it was amazing. So I would watch whatever I could, honestly. Whatever you could. Yeah. yeah. Would you act it out? Yeah, definitely. I remember seeing a production of Annie and getting the record and just, playing that over and over. I cannot sing to save my life. But I was like, oh, you know. So I would just sit there and reenact the songs by myself (laughs) at nauseum. Yeah, well, (laughs) I still do that. That's the weird thing. And I don't really (laughs) sing either. So you moved to Los Angeles and started to work. What was the role for you that you felt like, oh, I've made it or I've done it? Was that well, my stepmother is an alien or? I mean, I thought that was going to be the break, you know. Actually, it wasn't even when I got that role. It was, that was a very long process of, of auditioning. And they did an old fashioned screen test, like lights, camera, action. So my mom and I were, were driving into this screen test. And at that point, I think it's like down to two or three girls. And then they had some some of the guy characters as well. And we pull into the Fox lot, the 20th Century Fox lot, and I see Seth Green walking across the parking lot, and I just about lost it. I was like, oh, that's the kid from Amazing Stories. And I just, I mean, oh, my goodness, how I was even able to, like, say a line after seeing him. And it was just the greatest day. We spent the day of, they were sort of, you know, doing chemistry tests of this kid with that kid, and it was just amazing. It still, after that, took several months before we found out that I got the job. So it was really grueling, but I got the job and I got to be in this like big, huge motion picture with, you know, I had my name on a chair and it was just so exciting. And um, Dan Aykroyd was in it and Kim Basinger and it was just incredible. Uh, I, I turned, I was 13 and I turned 14 while filming and Dan Aykroyd gave me a bicycle and I just thought it was the greatest moment of my life. And it had this yellow ribbon that I didn't take off 
so I'd ride around the lot with a bow on it and then the transport transportation department would put it in my trailer at night and then, you know, I take it out in the morning or whatever. And then one day, I don't know why we were on the lot. I think it was like the weekend or something, but we were there for some reason and we walked past and I saw the bow on the ground. I was like, what, what, why is the bow on the ground? What, what happened? And, uh, turns out my bike got stolen. They ripped the the bow off. They just threw it aside. They stole a kid's bike, and so what? anyway, went yeah. They stole my and birthday they bike. Discarded the bow with and, no uh, respect I, for the bow. And by the way, I think they ran over the bow on the way out because <laughs> I had like tire marks. I could be exaggerating that in my imagination, but it, that's how my heart felt. That's how it felt, right? If I just turned fourteen. I can't handle this kind of thing. You stole my bike. Off of the 20th Century Fox lot, by the way. It's not like I just left it outside of a 7-Eleven. Right. It was on a lot. Anyway, so Dan found out, and of course, he being such a sweetheart, replaced the bike. And he told me he was going to replace the bike. But I do remember I was doing a scene where I had to be really emotional, and I was riding the character's bike. And uh, Richard Benjamin was the director. And he... He started shouting, just think about your bike. But at that point, I had already known that like Dan had already told me he was going to give me another one. And so it kind of like made it worse. Like I was already in the like, I'm going to cry space. But then when he's like, think about your bike, I just kind of like, now I can't, I've got to stop laughing. Yeah. So I do remember like, that's not the best direction right now. Because I know that makes me happy. I'm getting a new bike. Yeah. <laughs> Was there a yellow bow on the new bike? Oh, good question. I probably just no took the like bow. tire yeah. marked <laughs> bow and put it back on there. Put it back on it. I kept the tire marked bow for a long you time. Did. Yeah. Do you still have is it on your wall? <laughs> no, you I'd have to look room? through storage. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of those. I was like, yeah, from early things. It's like, oh, the call sheet from this. Mm-hmm. There's like a box of old call sheets that I, I know have never gone through again. I don't know. Huh. I don't need to. But somebody would love that call sheet now. Mm, my daughter yeah. would love that call sheet. Your daughter she's would? She's huge. Yes, yeah, she's a huge fan. And I'm getting a lot of cool points by talking to you today until she finds out that I said the word cool points. I'll get, <laughs> I'll get some deductions for that. But uh, yeah, she's very happy. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey. 
Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone, this is Get It to Dutch, a screenwriter's journey. I'm Mark. I'm Greg. I'm Brendan. And in this new comedy podcast, the three of us play aspiring screenwriters on a quest to get a hit Hollywood script to famous producer Dutch Huxley. Well, I would say one of us is aspiring and the other two are sort of struggling. Which one of us is aspiring? Well, they're going to have to listen to the podcast. Hmm. But I don't know. And I made the podcast. I made the podcast. And I think you guys were along for the ride. Each week, we bring in a script, we read it, and then we give each other notes. And you'll also hear about our adventures navigating the Hollywood uh, system. The show features amazing guests like Tim Robinson, Lily Sullivan, Weird Al Yankovic, and Rob Hubel. And like any great blockbuster, it's filled with heartbreak, adventure, suspense, and just a little tasteful nudity. And some distasteful nudity. Sorry about that, guys. Listen to Get It to Dutch, a screenwriter's journey, starting May 9th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I heard you haven't shown your kids Buffy. Have they seen Buffy? No. 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 And then my husband, who was also on Buffy for... uh, season and a half or something. He just the other day was like to our oldest daughter, I think you're probably old enough for Buffy. And I was like, ah, <laughs> excuse me. I feel like this was a discussion. <laughs> you don't remember the part where I flay somebody a lot, like their skin comes off. Like, do, do they need to see that? 
Do they need right. to see when Willow goes evil? I don't know. That's interesting. It's not that they don't want to. You don't want them to. It's right. too horrible. Well, I just am scared of the later season. Like when Dark Willow, I just, they can watch it. Or, well, my older one could watch it up until Dark Willow. And then okay. we'll just take a break for a few years and find a good <laughs> therapist. <laughs> but Michael Scott is okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> totally. I think Michael oh, Scott's gosh. okay. Brilliant. Brilliant. Ugh. I remember watching the second episode with her, and it was just, it's so good. It's so good. And by the way, can I talk about my embarrassing um, moment with probably Greg Daniels, but I don't actually know for sure. Okay. I was doing some pilot that didn't go uh, around the time that they were casting for The Office. I was a massive fan and still am of the British version. think it's probably the best television show ever made. So I was in doing chemistry reads with somebody at the NBC whatever for the pilot I was going to do. I had flown in from like London because I was doing a, a play there. And so, so anyway, we were doing chemistry reads in the, you know, the Kevin Riley's office or whatever. And, sure. but then there were all these people like in the hall doing something else. And I was like, finally I said, what's going on or whatever. And someone who is clearly one of the, you know, producers or somebody of the office uh, was like, oh, we're making an American version of The Office. And without even like thinking twice, I was like, no, don't do that. That's a horrible idea. I'm like, you can't. I was like, don't. You're going to ruin it. I was like, and I'm like saying this to somebody who's clearly like there in the process of making the show. And I'm like, shut up. But it was just like this reaction because I just, you know, held the British office up to like such a huge, you know, it's, it's the golden child of, of television shows. Glad they didn't listen to me. Um, (laughs) but still very embarrassed about whoever I said that to. I don't actually know who it was, but, um, yes. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. Oh yeah. I was like, oh, that's such a bad move. Well, by the way, John Krasinski said it to Greg Daniels as he was auditioning for the show as well. Okay. So it was probably I, on the I same guess, day. I, it was probably <laughs> like, the same like, oh my God, <laughs> I know. How is this? Yeah. How can I go about doing this? So you, well, so first off, after my stepmother is an alien, you, you felt like you had done it. And oh, wait, and by the way, Seth Green, not only were you his love interest once, you ended up being it again. Mm-hmm. Was he like your teen? Idol? Is that what you call it? Yeah. I mean, I was certainly starstruck when I first m- met him and saw him. But then, so we both wound up getting my stuff. And there's an alien. So we worked on yes. that. That was really fun. And then I did another, like, or I did a sitcom and he was on a few episodes of that. And then I feel like, I, f- I feel like there were quite a few other jobs, like little jobs where he was on it. And so then I just was like, well, I can only work if Seth Green is on it. Like, that's the only jobs I'm going to get. So he was basically, he's my lucky charm. Okay. Is what I thought. And I was like, well, I don't know. I mean, I've got this audition. Should I see if Seth's available? (laughs) That's the only way I'm going to get this job. Seth, did you get called for this show? No. Okay. Just tell your agent. Seth, will you just drive me to the audition? Because you're my good luck charm. (laughs) Read with me. 
Yes. So in 97, you get Buffy. What was the process of you getting that? Were, were you, had you seen the movie? Were you a fan of that story? Did you know anything about it? I mean, much like my my other story, uh, I heard that they were making a show of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I was like, oh, can't they just get a better idea? <laughs> so <laughs> who knew I was so negative back then? But anyway, um, so I had a friend who would get the breakdowns, which, you know, are for anybody who doesn't know, it's, wh- it's when they put out like all the auditions that are going on, all the shows and stuff that are looking for people. And so he would get them somehow. And he kept saying like, there's a part for you on this pilot, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So I would call my agent and say, Hey, so my friend says I'm right for this. Yeah. No, that we've called. They don't, they don't want to see you. Okay. And so I called a few times about it because he kept pestering me. And then they shot the pilot or it was a pilot presentation with somebody else. I never even got to audition for it. So then it gets picked up. They're recasting that role. My friend calls again. Hey, it's back in the breakdowns. You've got to go in on this. And so I call my agent again and they're like, they didn't want to see you. I don't think. And I'm like, well, my friend says I'm good for it. (laughs) And and anyway, (laughs) so basically I did get the audition that time. I think it was just, all right, we've seen everybody else. Why don't, why don't we see her? So I went in and I just auditioned and auditioned and auditioned and auditioned. I think I had eight auditions for the role. And I was <laughs> I was always told by like my acting coaches as a kid, always wear the same thing to the callbacks. So it's fine when they're spaced out. But towards the end, it was sort of like, okay, come back tomorrow. And then I'm like, well, wait. <laughs> I just wore this yesterday, but then I'm also so far in because in the breakdown, it says that she looks like her mom still dresses her. And so okay. I had an outfit that I wore that was very much what I thought Willow would look like. And so I do remember the, the, I went to network, which is the sort of you think is the yes. final phase. So it was three of us and you go to studio first, then network. So I wore my little outfit and then usually that's the end of the process. But then they called and said, no, they want to do chemistry reads tomorrow. Come back. And I had this huge panic of like, well, do I still wear the same thing? And then I, at that point, you know, that was audition seven. So I'm not going to change it up now. <laughs> but I was like, oh. And then I and then I was so superstitious. I was like, I've got to wear everything. I've got to wear the same socks. I've got to, you know, I've got to, it's got to be everything. So um I wore the same outfit. <laughs> and then at that point, it was just down to two girls. I obviously had a not so great agent because I knew going in, oh, the network wants this girl. Joss wants this girl. You're just, you just got through. <laughs> great. Thanks for the pep talk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so, um, so I was just like the filler in the sandwich. And, uh, and then the second day when we were doing chemistry reads, it was just down to me and one other girl. And it was the girl that I knew Joss wrote the part for. <laughs> so, oh, so I was like, oh gosh. And we had been doing the same scenes over and over and over. And they wanted to see a new scene. So Joss wrote specifically a scene for the three of us. It was um, for Buffy and Xander and Willow. And it had all this computer jargon and just like a paragraph of just things that I had no idea what it was. But I went in and I was like, okay, I was prepared. 
And then I started, I got to that paragraph. I could not for the life of me, like I couldn't even look at it. The words started jumping on the page and like, I just, I think I said some of the words, but definitely not in the right order. And I just kept rambling. And finally I was like, okay, you got to stop this now. And later, um, even though it took a week after that time for them to tell me I got it and it went back into the breakdowns. Oh, that was heartbreaking. But Joss said, he's like, well, you couldn't say the lines to save your life, but the chemistry was there. And that's when I knew. I'm like, then why did it take you a week to tell me? (laughs) (laughs) Why'd you repost it on the breakdowns? Yeah. Jackass. It was so excruciating too. And it wasn't during pilot season. So, so normally you, you find out like within 24 to 72 hours or something. But my agent was like, sure, take a week to tell her. And I was like, why? <laughs> why? So I still like technically on hold for a week. And then I ran into to Nick Brendan at the Formosa Cafe and he oh. already knew. And he said something to me that was like, you shouldn't worry about this. And I was like, well, wait, why? Because I didn't get it or because I did get it? What do you mean? I shouldn't worry about this. Now I'm worrying about this and that. So um, so it was torture. And I it's do a remember. Crazy, yeah, it's a crazy it life we live. People don't yeah. hear these stories. I, I love, yeah, Ugh. because it, that's what happens. Yeah. The office was a very similar situation. I think it was two weeks after the Ugh. last time I came in and I was calling my manager being like, did we get it? What did they say? What's happened? You know, and yeah. you can't think about anything else, obviously. No. And it went back down in the breakdowns. Yeah, so that's my friend brutal. who gets the breakdowns was like, oh, you must not have gotten it because it's in the <laughs> breakdowns again. So they started auditioning other people again. And I was like, well, then why won't they release me? Tell me I didn't <laughs> get it. Like just one way or the other, this waiting is killing me. And it yeah. was the days of beepers. So I would like look at my beeper every time. And then finally I got a beep to, you know, call my agent and I was dating some dude that didn't have a phone. And so we went to the 7-Eleven payphone. And so I found out that I got it on a payphone on Westwood Boulevard that is no longer there. It was there for a long time and I would wave to it when I drove by. It's no longer there because we don't need payphones anymore. But you'll never forget that, that phone. The 7-Eleven's still there. What did you do when you when you hung up? Did you yell? Did you pound the glass of the payphone? <laughs> I think because I I think I just drove myself to go return the call. And then I drove back to my boyfriend's house and I was like, oh, I got it. And he wasn't very supportive. He was like, oh, okay. <laughs> he wasn't wow. a good boyfriend. Um, but I don't know. I think I was just so like excited and i don't actually remember i mean i remember the phone call of like what are you sure me okay great and yeah it it was just incredible especially because i was like i had had money from when i was a child actor that they like put into a trust fund that you can't get till you're 18 so that was sort of what i was living off of and i was down to like six hundred dollars and i was like Okay. And I I went and I took bartending school classes because I was like, well, I've got to get a job that I can do at night. So I'll be a bartender. And I tried so hard to get a job as a bartender and nobody would hire me because they were like, honey, you cannot card people. You look like you're 12 years old. There's no <laughs> way that you can ask somebody for their ID. 
like, but I need a job. <laughs> it's easier for Allison Hannigan to get on a show that runs seven years than to get a bartending job. That is hire that's, me. that's the major takeaway yeah. for me on this. And I had a certificate and everything. Oh. I went to that school. I spent you did it. more money than I should have going to bartender school. <laughs> I could have <laughs> survived another month without that that fee. Yeah, that's amazing. How much when you're creating a character, does physicality enter into it for you? It does, especially with Buffy and Willow. Actually, Willow, I remember when I I clicked into Willow. I was sitting in my little Jeep Wrangler, and I was going over the lines, and there was this this line about, uh, she's talking to Buffy, and and Buffy's asking, like, how did they know each other? And Xander and Willow have known each other for years, and and Willow says something about like, oh, we used to date, but we broke up. And and Buffy asks why. And then um, Willow says, because he stole my Barbie. So obviously they were kids. And then at the end of the scene, Buffy says, so did he ever give your Barbie back? And the line was most of it. And I remember like <laughs> wanting to make that a really good thing of just like, oh, it was like it, just making it really happy. Like most of it. Right like sort of looking at the positive rather than, you know, and that clicked it for me. I was like, oh, that's how I'm going to play her. So then I went back and sort of read all the lines with that kind of voice. And then I do know that because I, you know, I hadn't worked like, like that really, I just was very aware of my arms and especially in auditions. I was like, what do I do with my arms? And so I had a ring on my middle finger. So I would always like, play with that ring, that sort of became how I felt Willow. Yeah. So, so it wasn't like some big, bold, you know, I'm going to have a limp, but, uh, but it was the (laughs) holding my ring thing, which I think I've done in other characters too. So don't write in. They, (laughs) they were influenced. (laughs) Those other characters were influenced by your work as Willow. Mm -hmm. They really that's how I would, that's how, that's how I would explain it away. Yeah. Yeah. There, I mean, there's yeah. so much we could talk about with Buffy. I, I want to hit on at least one thing. So Willow discovers that she likes girls. And in the episode, the body in 2001, you have a kiss on screen. And for those of you who don't know, this is just a couple of years after Ellen DeGeneres, very early on, one of the first kisses on network television between women. Was this something that was brought up at the time? Were you sort of aware of it at the time that this was a culturally significant moment or, or or how did that come about? Well, I mean, I certainly was not prepared for like how profound it was going to be. Joss had sort of said, Oh, we're bringing on this new character. She's going to be a friend for Willow. And then I I feel like he just sort of sort of said like a special friend for Willow or something like it wasn't that big of a deal, but it was it was enough where I was sort of like, huh, okay. And I think because the show handled it so beautifully and it wasn't really about like, okay, here we are. This is the first at the time it was the first series regular from the beginning of the show to come out. And Mm -hmm. You know, because there had been other shows where they're like, okay, here, we'll introduce this new character or whatever, but not a character that had been on since the beginning. And 
because it was just treated the same as, you know, the Oz Willow relationship, which is what I love so much, you know, it just felt right and beautiful. It wasn't until afterwards that I realized what an effect it had on so many people and just how important it was. Um, I mean, I just really liked it because, you know, such a beautiful love story and Amber was just so wonderful. And in fact, speaking of Ellen, I actually, I do (laughs) regret how I played the scene where I come out to Buffy because I was listening to an Ellen podcast years ago and she was talking about her coming out and she was saying that, you know, the reason why people often just cry and cry is because it's, it's been this weight that they've carried around. And so it's just the release of that brings you to these, these tears. And I was like, Oh no, I screwed up because I intentionally chose not to make it a crying moment because Mm. I didn't want anyone to feel like I was ashamed or like that. I felt that that was anything wrong. So I just wanted it to be, I wanted to treat it the same as I would tell her about Oz. But then hearing Ellen's story, I was like, oh no, I should have made it much more emotional, but I just, I don't know. So I do regret that. But nobody's ever come up to told told me that I did it wrong. Right. Well, I don't think there is. I don't think there is a wrong. And as you said, the whole story was handled like, well, I think the word you used was beautifully. I, I think it was handled beautifully and not with a heavy hand. And I know that how important that moment and that relationship, you know, was for people. Yeah. And, and by the way, we didn't think people were watching our show either. Like we weren't really, we were the sort of little show that different show that got really good reviews on the, the WB at the time. You know, it was, right. it wasn't until Comic-Con that we were sort of like, oh, wait, we have fans. This is pretty cool. <laughs> but I do remember once once um, those episodes started airing, then we were getting, you know, mentions of uh, this the first time a series regular from the, the start of the show has come out. And, and so then it sort of took on this like, oh, okay, wait, we actually did do something really incredible. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And I will forever be grateful to be part of that storyline. I mean, I'm just the amount of people that come up and say that it was it was so helpful for their development or to see somebody going through the same things or or you know, I just oh, I've been reduced to tears so many times because of people's stories and and how it helped them and I love being part of that relationship. I'm so grateful. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone, this is Get It to Dutch, a screenwriter's journey. I'm Mark. I'm Greg. I'm Brendan. And in this new comedy podcast, the three of us play aspiring screenwriters on a quest to get a hit Hollywood script to famous producer Dutch Huxley. Well, I would say one of us is aspiring and the other two are sort of struggling. Which one of us is aspiring? Well, they're going to have to listen to the podcast. Hmm. But I don't know. And I made the podcast. I made the podcast. And I think you guys were along for the ride. Each week we bring in a script, we read it, and then we give each other notes. And you'll also hear about our adventures navigating the Hollywood uh, system. The show features amazing guests like Tim Robinson, Lily Sullivan, Weird Al Yankovic, and Rob Hubel. Like any great blockbuster, it's filled with heartbreak, adventure, suspense, and just a little tasteful nudity. And some distasteful nudity. Sorry about that, guys. Listen to Get It to Dutch, a screenwriter's journey, starting May 9th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I do have to ask you, because I don't know, it seems like I have to, about American Pie, such an iconic, memorable 
quotable character. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, you've had songs written about your, uh, what is it, a catchphrase? Is that what we call it? Is it a catchphrase? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. An iconic piece of the lexicon of movies. Is that right? Yeah. I don't know. Yes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> are, are you still approached by that? And is that annoying to you or do you celebrate it? I mean, look, I, it's not annoying because I am so grateful to be in something that people still remember and love. And it's uncomfortable now that I'm a mom and I don't want my kids watching that that movie or asking me about it for a while. Yeah. But whatever. And it, it was more uncomfortable when they were a lot younger. Now it would be an easier conversation to have. But uh I mean, that was just a little independent movie. Even though it was universal, it was it had a $5 million budget, which, Crazy. you know, it's not much. And I remember my manager calling me before I read the script, and he's like, okay, we're sending you the script. You're either going to love it or hate it. Nobody, like, that's just how it's going. People can't stand it or they love it. So I loved it. And he was saying, take a look at, you know, uh, whatever role, because all the rules were open and see which one you like. Oh, I think it was actually between Heather my, and Michelle. Yeah, exactly. Heather and Michelle. Yes. And I was like, no, I love Michelle. And uh, just immediately like wanted to do that part. And so I went, I, I went to the audition. It was casting. It was just me and the casting director. And he told me, um, no, she can't be that quirky. Like take out all the, you know, all the quirk, just take that away. And cause we want, you know, we want these two to be together or whatever. And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, it's written in question form. Every line has a question mark at the end of the sentence. And so I was like, oh, all right. Well, that's weird. Cause that's definitely not how I pictured it. Right. And so I did it again, just super boring. And he was like, okay, great. I'm going to bring you back for the directors. And that's, that's great. And I got on the phone to my manager. I was like, they said that they're going to bring me back for the directors, but honestly, I don't want to go because if he wants me to do it like that, I just, that's, that's not going to be funny. And right. so, so they were like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, let's just see if you get the call back and, and to, uh, talk to us then. And so I did. And the call that they took me, my managers took me to lunch right before maybe to butter me up to go to the callback. I don't know why, but we were <laughs> at lunch and I had like seven iced teas or something ridiculous. And then I sat in traffic on my way to the callback and I had to pee like I've never had to pee before. And I just remember kind of, then you have to go through, it's on the back lot of the Universal and trying to find the bungalow. I was going to wet my pants. And so I was like, well, I don't want to be late. I'll sign in and then run to the bathroom. So I did that. And I'm like, <sighs> I went to the bathroom, washing my hands. And the assistant comes in to the bathroom and says, okay, we're ready for you. I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> what? So I never. <laughs> comes into the bathroom? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, she, <laughs> yes. Thank God I wasn't in the stall still. So I dry my hands, but I never had time to settle down. I still had that. I'm going to wet my pants energy. And so I just went in and I never even decided if I was going to do it boring or the way I wanted to do it. And because I had that like hyper pee energy, I just did it the way I wanted to do it. And I got the job. There you go. And I'm sure the casting director appreciates me telling that story. <laughs> 
(laughs) (laughs) But I think that that shows a boldness from you, whether it was intentional or not, right? So, like, it was just about the pee or whatever, but... If you Did read you the script, think this morning that you would say if it was just about the pee. Sorry. It was just about the pee, just about mm-hmm. Allison Hannigan's pee. No, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, like, there are times you read something and you see it clearly, mm-hmm. and it sounds like you did. Yeah, there were multiple roles available for your choosing, at least to audition, and you saw a character and you saw the role, and they said, "Well, no, they want it like this." Well, that's not you, right? No. Well, I mean, it's not, not what I wanted to do. I really right. like I had so much fun just being weird and like talking in question form. It was so much fun. And then like so to funny. no 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 be, be just lose the quirk and and just like, you know, we want that, to root for them to be together. I'm like, "What?" Uh, but I that didn't I didn't see it that way. <laughs> and I'm so not normally like that either. I'm very much like, okay, what do you want? I'm your puppet, you know? So I guess that was just, no, this is how I would want to play it. It also helped that I was on Buffy and it wasn't like, I have to get this part. You know, it was like, hey, that'd be great. It's a small part in this movie I thought was really funny, but it wasn't like, oh, this is going to change your life. Oh, you know, you didn't know that at the time. So the stakes weren't that high. And I had a job to go back to. So that gave me a confidence that I didn't normally have. And, and see, that's uh, so important too. Mm-hmm. I know. And you know that because people always say, act like you don't care about the job. But it's it, it, you can't. Well, you have to truly not care. You have to I truly know. not care. Exactly. Well, and I'm so grateful that I had a crappy agent for Buffy because they weren't able to give me the script. So I only had the sides. And had I read the script, I would have completely lost my mind and I wouldn't have, I, there's no way I could have gotten it because I would have, would have wanted it so desperately. So I'm, I'm really glad that when I got the script, I was like, oh, I won the lottery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did not realize that American Pie was that small a budget. Not that 5 million is, as you said, is not nothing, but. It's yeah. not a studio movie budget. And that's with like distribution. Well, sure. And and then they were going to dump it in the winter. I think it was going to be like released on Valentine's Day or something, you know, where movies don't really tend to do much. No, that's when my movies come out. Yeah, that's when my <laughs> movies come out is right around well, that's Valentine's Day. you're doing Valentine's Day love <laughs> movies. But uh, so they did the first sort of test screening where they, you know, grab a bunch of people and say, hey, watch this movie and tell us what you think. And the the ratings or whatever the uh, were phenomenal. It was somewhere in the 90, like 90 percentile or whatever. And they freaked out. Like Universal was like, what do we have? So then they made it a summer movie, which, you know, that's when, like all the blockbusters come out. But I, yeah, it was just that sort of it was really like, I love the script. Then I remember doing the table read and meeting everybody and hearing everyone. And I was sitting next to Sean William Scott and he was like, I think he had just 
you know, come from working at Home Depot or something. And he was just the sweetest, most like, can you believe we're going to do a moving picture? I mean, he was just so endearing and I love him so much. But um, they also, because it was such a low budget movie, it was tears. So there was like the A tier, which was like the Jason Biggs and Eddie and like the guys cast. Um, And then there was a B tier. And I think Sean and I were C tier. (laughs) So we were like very much bottom, you know, but fine. In fact, I remember because it was just, you knew going in scale plus 15, you know, it's just a, you're going to make as little as they can pay you. But there was in the contract, there was a sequel uh, deal. And I was like, and I said to my people, I'm like, I'm not signing on for a sequel for scale plus 15. And by the way, my character leaves at the end of the movie. So she wouldn't even be in a sequel. So they, they can just take that out. And I don't know why I said that because, you know, it wasn't like I was that savvy in the business or whatever, (laughs) but they did. They took out the sequel clause because look at there. I know how that works. (laughs) And my character leaves at the end of the first movie. And boy, was that really smart. Oh, that was really smart. Wow. I wasn't C-tier for the sequels. No. Tell you that much. You were not. (laughs) No. (laughs) No, you were not. And by the way, I only worked seven days on the first film. Like, because, and I know that specifically because we had to get my schedule to work around the Buffy schedule. So they had to like, you know, have days off from Buffy. And so they were like, okay, we'll give you seven days. And so I worked seven days on the first one and 11 on the second one. Unbelievable. And I think they were doing weekends for me. But anyway, yeah. So so I really did feel like such a minor part, which I didn't care. I loved, I loved Michelle. And, and then I do remember like the first day of work, we were at some high school and it was a scene where actually her first scene where she's talking to, to Jason. And, and I just remember being at like craft service and some of the crew guys were like talking to me, like my character, you know, in question form and sing songy <laughs> and like talking about band camp. And I was like, Oh, oh that's funny. Um, and little did I know, years <laughs> later, it still but I was like, Oh, okay. Uh, I guess that's good. Imitation is a form of flattery, right? Flattery. Yeah. But it was just this little movie. And then I remember seeing a screening of it, like just, you know, cast and and producers. And I was like, oh, this is so good. I'm so excited. And then somehow I got a VHS tape. And I remember playing it for Seth and Sarah in the trailer at lunch one day or whatever. Seth loved it. Sarah was like, mm, it's not my type of film. <laughs> and I was like, wait, aren't you doing cruel intentions right now? Um, but yeah. So, uh, but I was like, okay, Seth loved it. That's all that matters. But I was just so excited for my friends to see it. Cause, cause at that time that was so my sense of humor and I just loved it. And so it, it just was one of those things that every step of the way, it just got better. Like that cast read, I was like, this is good. And then right. the directors were amazing. And then, you know, seeing the final product, I was like, this is unbelievable. It's so cool. And then for it to come out and just be so well-received and, and just such a huge hit, we were like, what is happening? That's awesome. It was, cool. it was a yeah. fun ride. 
That's amazing. But I can't, I can't imagine how many times people have approached you with that. Yeah. I oh, can't. yes. Definitely. Yeah. No. I, I, I remember saying once in an interview, it's like, if I had a nickel for every time, and then I was like, oh, wait, I do. <laughs> Thank you, American Pie. <laughs> That's amazing. C- Actually, C-level. American Pie 2. <laughs> American Pie 2. I know. Wow. I mean, just it, the people at Universal must just think you're a negotiating shark because you're like, <laughs> I'm sure I took they don't that, let one cl- that one clause <laughs> right? out. It's they probably, probably like I, I've I probably ruined it for a bunch of actors behind me. They're like, sense. we're not falling for that. You've got to sign your sequels now. I don't care if you're an extra. <laughs> <laughs> they learned their lesson. Oh, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Let me ask. Let me ask you this: If you look at you know three huge cultural works of art that you have been involved with at least that at least have have caught flame buffy american pie how i met your mother what is the what is the role that people come up to you the most about or approach you the most about it depends on my location if i'm around some sort of sporting event it's going to be american pie yeah if i'm at a bookstore it's probably going to be buffy uh, or okay. a comic book shop, <laughs> definitely Buffy. Um, and then I would say overall, How I Met Your Mother probably is the most popular because it was popular when it was on. Then we started streaming. Well, first we were played on airplanes, and that's when we were like, wait yes. a second, we've got a captive audience. <laughs> and so we sort of saw that we were getting a little more popular with that. And then Netflix started airing us and that changed everything. And I feel like it just keeps growing. I feel like yeah. both of the shows that I was on were more popular after they were over than when they were actually on, even though How I Met Your Mother kept growing. But the fans are incredible. In fact, back to Comic-Con, when our our last season and you know you do the whole press thing of the show's over and they asked us to go to comic-con which was sort of baffling because we're not a science it wasn't like we were the big bang theory it's like it's a sitcom that has nothing to do but okay so we did (laughs) and um people stood in line like all night to be in our panel and then entertainment weekly did some sort of survey where they they gauge all the social media whatever it is to see who won comic-con and we won comic-con you we won beat, like we beat superman versus batman or whatever <laughs> movie it was and we were like what we what because because people were talking about us the most on social media i guess um that's awesome so that was pretty incredible to to hear yeah that is surprising because comic-con is. is a very specific type of event definitely yeah, that feels way buffier. You must have done that oh, with Buffy, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. We did like every year. for, I don't remember when we started, but it was when Seth was on because Seth and I were there and, uh, and we were like, wait, <laughs> don't, don't we get to go like walk around and see all the, the stuff? And they were like, no, you can't do that. And we're like, we have to, we're at Comic-Con. We want to go see the stuff. 
And so then they were like, well, we have to send security with you. And we were like, oh my God, which of course draws way more uh, attention than if you just put a baseball cap in and go walk around. And so he and I quickly realized, okay, we can't do this with security. We got to break free. And so we did and it was fine. But as soon as you have like coming through, coming through, coming through, it attracts a crowd of like, what's happening? And then you can't do anything because you've got like 50 people around you sort of trying to figure out why some some dude's trying to protect you. No, having security is way worse. Oh, it's so silly. I think partly it's because the security who are with you, they somehow there is an attention that they enjoy about that. <laughs> like there's yes. a puffier chest, there's yeah, a higher yeah. walk. Yeah. And of course, like if you're just standing there, you look at this person who's walking by with this great purpose looking around. And then of course totally. you look at who the, and they're who, always like seven here? feet tall, I feel like. <laughs> yes. Or maybe I'm just short. But it <laughs> between Seth and I, we're just like looking up to this these two guys that are trying, like causing such a scene. We're like, we know how to do this. We can get yeah. it's okay. <sighs> <laughs> that was really silly. But anyway, that was just a long-winded way of saying it was sometime within the first couple seasons, but we went down there and we were just shocked at the fact that we could fill an auditorium. They actually bumped us up to a bigger auditorium because of all the interest in hearing us talk. And it was amazing. And I remember that was the first time I'd seen somebody like burst into tears because they got to hug David Boreanaz. So it was just like, oh, people like this show. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, 
but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, this is Get It to Dutch, a screenwriter's journey. I'm Mark. I'm Greg. I'm Brendan. And in this new comedy podcast, the three of us play aspiring screenwriters on a quest to get a hit Hollywood script to famous producer, Dutch Huxley. Well, I would say one of us is aspiring and the other two are sort of struggling. Which one of us is aspiring? Well, they're going to have to listen to the podcast. Hmm. But I don't know, and I made the podcast. Well, I made the podcast, and I think you guys were along for the ride. Oh. Each week, we bring in a script, we read it, and then we give each other notes. And you'll also hear about our adventures navigating the Hollywood cesp- uh, system. The show features amazing guests like Tim Robinson, Lily Sullivan, Weird Al Yankovic, and Rob Hubel. And like any great blockbuster, it's filled with heartbreak. Adventure, suspense, and just a little tasteful nudity. And some distasteful nudity. Sorry about that, guys. Listen to Get It to Dutch, a screenwriter's journey, starting May 9th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Claim comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What was your process for getting cast there? On Buffy? On How I Met Your Mother. Oh, How I Met Your Mother. Okay, so the creators, Craig and Carter, Craig's wife, well, Craig and his wife, Rebecca, uh, were very, very big Buffy fans. And so when How I Met Your Mother's loosely based on Carter and Craig's friendship, and so when Craig went to Rebecca and said, hey, so Carter and I are thinking about, you know, writing this story kind of based on ourselves. What do you think? How, what do you think about that? She was like, well, as long as Alison Hannigan plays me, I'm fine. And so she basically got me the job. Um, so I always am super grateful to Rebecca for that. And so I got this call, Hey, you know, these guys have, you know, they've got the script or whatever. And at the time I was reading a lot of scripts and it really stood out as special. I, I liked it immediately. And then it was just a sort of, will you meet the showrunners? And I was like, okay, is it an audition? No, just go meet them. Okay, great. Which is weird, but great. Right. Um, and they were lovely and so sweet. And then the network wanted me to do the audition. Test. The, yes. the test, exactly. So <laughs> I remember 
uh, I was like, okay, one audition. All right, fine. Going straight to network. Woo. And yeah. hit the big leagues now. <laughs> so they, for, for the network tests, they have to iron out the whole deal of, you know, how much you're going to, blah, 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 yeah, all this yeah. stuff. And I just remember there was like one little hiccup that my people and business affairs couldn't get past. So the network day was going to be like, you know, Wednesday or something. And they didn't have a deal. So I was ready to go test on Wednesday and no deal. So no, I don't get to test. So so <laughs> I thought, well, that was it. Okay. And then I think in the room, it was Gary Newman, I heard, who was uh, the president of 20th Century Fox, who produced the show. But uh, he was like, wait, I thought Allison was coming in for this. And then they were like, yeah, we can't get whatever. And he was like, come on. And so they called back and said, okay, come test on Friday. It was like two days later or something. And so I did, and there were no other girls there. I was like, this is awesome. They were (laughs) testing the role of Barney. So it was just me and a bunch of Barneys. And I'm like, okay, if I can't get this, (laughs) then I'm really, because I hate auditioning, by the way. I'm so, I'm not a great auditioner. It's such a different skill set. And I just don't possess that, that, that skill set. I get too in my head and I sort of like, I leave my body and I start judging myself. I'm like, oh, no, that wasn't good. Oh, no, you do the watch good. from it's, the outside. Oh, it's so bad. Oh. So anyway, so I was really happy that I didn't have to like sit there and see my competition. And, uh, and then while I was waiting, Neil Patrick Harris walks in and we had been friends since like we were 16 or something. So we were both really excited to see each other and just have a familiar face. And he went in first. He, oh, he was contemplating doing some sort of pratfall or something. Um, and I was like, yeah, hit the wall so I can hear you did it, that you've done it. And he did. <laughs> I could hear he bounced <laughs> off the door or something. Um, and I was like, oh, Neil, you're the best. And so I went in. It was just me. And that was great. It was fun. And then I left. And it wasn't, they didn't make me wait very long. And I did, I think on the way home, maybe I got the call. So that was really exciting. And then a few days later, they were wanted to test for Marshall. So they asked me to come in and do a chemistry read. So I did a chemistry read. And Jason Siegel and I had been in a movie together uh, years before called Dead Man on Campus. Okay. Don't rush out to rent that right now. I've um, missed that one, but I'm going to watch yeah. it tonight. No, a lot of people did. It was fine to miss. And um, when I saw him, it was him and some other guy. And I saw him. I was like, God, that guy looks familiar. I know. And then we did that like, hey, how are you? <laughs> like, we know we know each other. I just have no idea why I know you. And then later on, it was I realized, oh, we've worked together. <laughs> um <laughs> But he sort of just stood outside and did his thing. And then the other guy was like very much like, okay, she has the job. I'm going to kiss up to her. (laughs) And so he was like on me the entire time, which fine, like do whatever you got to do. And then we go in and I read with that guy. And then I read with Jason and I mess up. I totally jumped on one of his jokes. And I was like, oh. Such a jerk. I just ruined this guy's chances. But again, we both played it off and the chemistry was clearly there. But I was so concerned that I blew it for him because I screwed up his <laughs> one like one of his punchlines. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh. 
but thank God he got it because I would have, I, that would have haunted me for years. Well, and I mean, the fact that is that you already had the job. So yeah. being back in the corner, drinking a glass of wine and smoking a cigarette <laughs> like you were, is probably, probably oh. why you messed up. It's like, oh, I've got this now. I don't have to be. I think I just messed up because I'm terrible at auditions. I mean, clearly, uh, oh. or that's the key to it is that I mess up and it helps because you show the chemistry. Yes. Because I messed up in Buffy and I messed up on his How I Met Your Mother. So that's a good lesson, actually. Not that we're into teaching lessons here. Yes. But that there is something about the energy and the intention. And I do think that so often as actors, why maybe you struggle, why I struggle at times with auditions is that, yeah, you get so worked up about it being perfect Mm -hmm. and forget that it's really just about showing yourself as best you can and that limited amount of time. Exactly. I do really think the chemistry is so there when you mess up. Like, honestly, I've thought about it since. And I'm like, if I were in a casting session, I might try to mess up just to see how how it plays. You know, because then it, you kind of, without going completely off script, you do get into a little bit of Im- improv I don't know. It's just, it's just been telling in my situations where, where it's like, it was so right, even though I totally screwed up his line. Yeah. And he handled it beautifully. He didn't like, (gasps) (gasps) (laughs) I mean, (laughs) he was totally professional. Um, how I met your mother started roughly the same time that the office started. Yes. I think you guys must have started first. Yeah, but I don't feel like there was a ton of, it wasn't like we were, had some weird competition. We were clearly like on different nights. I felt like we totally talked about your show and appreciated it. And yeah, I, I don't feel like there was ever any, I mean, honestly, I remember from the start of how I met your mother, we were produced by 20th century Fox. That and they also produced My Name is Earl. Yes. And My Name is Earl was their baby. They the they loved that baby. And so I do remember us always being like, Well, we're not my name is Earl. <laughs> and it we really felt that, you know, like from the studio perspective of like, they don't care about that. Like anytime like the studio run through would run late, they're like, Oh, they're lunching with my name is Earl. Like we were definitely <laughs> bitter about how much attention they got and they got all the, you know, the right. campaigns and, and, but they also came out with a huge bang and we did not. So, you know, rightfully they probably earned it more than we did, but, uh, <laughs> that's the only like show I, re- oh, and then we got really mad at dancing with the stars because they kept kicking our butts with <laughs> Uh, the numbers because they were up against. So, so for us, I think the only like shows we ever talked about were the ones that were like getting our attention or (laughs) uh, from the studio or kicking our ass in the numbers. It's fascinating because, you know, my name is Earl. We were, we struggled mightily out of the gate and were almost canceled a couple of times. My name is Earl is one of the reasons we were even stayed on the air because they put, us behind my name is Earl. And yes, exactly. As you said, it came out of the gate crazy big. Mm -hmm. And then nine months in or whatever, we finally kind of overtook them and everything sort of swung 
That that yeah. show. It's so crazy that our shows lasted for so long, and that show was so huge out of the gate, and then huge, and then bye bye. We were perpetually a bubble show. We barely got like we barely got the back order, and then you know it was definitely sort of. Are we going to get the season two? I don't know. I don't know. Yes, we did. And then I don't remember exactly which seasons it was, but it was probably after we started our numbers and popularity started increasing because of, you know, really being popular in airplanes and jails that (laughs) we did get like a two season pickup at once. (gasps) We thought we were rock stars. I think it might've been season three and four, but it was like, not only did we get picked up, but we got picked up for two seasons. That's amazing. (gasps) That was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Mm -hmm. We were there too. We we were on the bubble for so long. It was so nice not to be called the bubble show. I know. I know. Yeah. Like, that take was that really out of nice. your mouths, please. Um, I know since How I Met Your Mother has been off the air, now you've been expanding your horizons even further. You're hosting. Do you like hosting? Penn and Teller? I do. I do. I, uh, you know, I, I, yes. I love that I get to be thrown into a world that is so foreign to myself. Like, the the magician world is just so different. And to get to sort of watch these people come on and perform in front of their icons, because Penn and Teller are living legends. All these magicians have grown up being inspired by them. And like, and so to watch sort of people's dreams coming true is really cool to be a little like, you know, fly on the wall. And the magic's amazing. I went in knowing very, very little. And obviously we've been doing it for a long time now. So I know more than I wish I knew, but there's still so many people that are so incredible that just make me feel like I'm a six-year-old watching magic happen. So it's, it's fun. I have a six-year-old who watches me do magic and that's about the only person who would be impressed. By my I magic, don't know. You should come on. I don't know. No chance. Come on. You could come no. on at least to like just be the person that they trick. That would not be difficult for me. <laughs> I, that would it's not be really difficult. incredible. Allison, I can't let you leave before I, I tell you I have loved essentially everything that you have ever done except oh, except. Oh, and you haven't seen Dead Man on Campus, so uh-oh. I, and I mean no disrespect to you or anyone else associated with the project, but Fancy Nancy, <gasps> specifically the theme song for Fancy Nancy, what gets stuck in my head. Oh, good. No. I was like, if you don't no. like Fancy Nancy, no. this interview Fancy is over. Nancy, <sighs> Fancy Nancy. Well, thank God you're not singing it. Well, I mean, but come I on. do. That's what <laughs> I do. You used to sing Annie running around the house. I now yeah. have to sing Fancy Nancy and then go, oh, Aww. get that out of my Wee. head. It's such a good show, though. It's very Come on. Oh, I love love the animation. So I'm doing an animated show for Netflix right now, too. And the kids are watching that. And I I truly do love it. It's so creative. It's such a different world of acting that I enjoy so much. But no, the theme song for Fancy Nancy. We got to work on it. Well, I didn't write it. 
And I think the kids love it. I I love that show. That was, I mean, honestly, I've always, always wanted to do a cartoon. And I don't think I was good at it until I had children. Um, because I do a lot of emoting with my face, apparently, and that doesn't work in (laughs) cartoons. You have to do it with your voice. And I didn't realize that until I had kids and I started reading bedtime stories out loud. I'm like, oh, and, and Fancy Nancy was just such a dream. And I just had so much fun doing that every single time. And honestly, I would have done it for a hundred years. I loved that show. And it was just like, I also love being part of a show. You could just plop your kid down and you know it's going to be okay and safe and not like yes. inappropriate for their their age. So yes. that was, I love that show. Oh, oh, Fancy Nancy. Fancy Nancy. Fancy so Nancy. Mm. I loved right. it. Well, if there's a reboot, maybe I can come up with a different theme song. Um, <laughs> Allison. Thank you so much Aww, for coming and talk to me. You. Uh, no, you're one, you're delightful. Uh, two, you offered, I think, some just some great insight into not just your career, but how a lot of actors should maybe think about the audition process and fame and whatnot. I'm so happy for you and respect you so much. Thank you so much Thank for talking you. to me. Thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. Fancy Nancy, Fancy Nancy. I don't think I'm even doing it right because now it's catchy. Now it's stuck in my head. Allison, thank you for coming on the podcast today. I'm so glad we finally got a chance to sit down and really talk. So thank you. A thank you, as always, to you listeners for tuning in. If you liked what you heard today, and I don't know how you couldn't. I mean, it's Allison freaking Hannigan. She is incredible. But if you did, please go ahead, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or send us a note at Instagram at Off The Beat. We would love to hear from you. I'll be back next week with another incredible guest from one of your very favorite shows. But until then, everybody, have a great week. We will see you next Tuesday. Off the Beat is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Ling Lee. Our producers are Diego Tapia, Liz Hayes, Emily Carr, and Hannah Harris. Our talent producer is Ryan Papa Zachary. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend, Creed Bratton, and the episode was mixed by Seth Olansky. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you 
you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn Nicotine Pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, our lost sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one listen to a really good cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts if you love comedy movies and Hollywood satire you're going to want to listen to a brand new podcast called Get It to Dutch in Get It to Dutch we play three aspiring screenwriters on a quest to get a script to big time Hollywood producer Dutch Huxley each week on the podcast we perform a movie script right before your ears it's like going to a movie with your eyes closed and we have amazing guest stars including Tim Robinson Rob Hubel Lily Sullivan Jamie Moyer and Weird Al Yankovic listen to Get It to Dutch a screenwriter's journey starting May 9th on the iHeartRadio app Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts.